room. If you got a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 1. That will be where our scripture is coming uh, from this morning. I will have several of these lessons uh, over the next several weeks talking about the Advent uh, and talking about the Advent of Christ and uh, exciting to talk about this time of year and uh, exciting to talk about these messages. And uh, I find more and more that we talk about the Bible more and more, you look to the Old Testament, you see the, uh, the studies and talking about uh, the Old Testament, even the New Testament, you realize that it's all about Jesus. Uh, the whole Bible points to Jesus Christ, and uh, he's literally on every page. And as we study it, as we look at it, how wonderful uh, Jesus really is. And uh, I have always prayed for me as a pastor uh, not just to give you uh, information, not just to educate you, but to uh, transform your hearts by what I say to you. Uh, I don't want to preach just to your head. I want to preach to your heart. I, I want you to understand it. I want you to know it. I want you to uh, take God's word and be able to apply it. Uh, what good is it if I could give it to you every week and you left here and you're never engaged by it and it never changes your life? Uh, it's like just hearing the words over and over again, but never uh, changing your heart or your life. And uh, I pray as we uh, think about God's word, as we hear the messages talking about this Christmas series, uh, I want to engage your spirit. I want to engage your heart. I want to engage you as a person and how we hear from that. And uh, you should have a response to God's word as much as I preach God's word, as much as I teach God's word. And uh, I uh, as well, I don't know how someone and a church can get together in the name of Jesus and talk about Jesus and our hearts never be moved with any worship or praise. And so my hope is and my goal is that when we uh, hear God's word, we hear about the goodness of who he is and we hear the message of Jesus Christ that our hearts will get excited, that our hearts will be filled with wonder, our hearts will be filled with joy. Uh, much like we get joyful and we get excited and we scream and yell at a football game or a soccer game, right? Or at a baseball game. And, uh, you know, we can talk about worldly things and get excited. But sometimes when we as Christians have heard the story of Christmas and we hear about salvation, that sometimes we don't quite let it move our hearts as much. And so my goal through this series is that we would move, God would move our hearts, that we would be excited about the things of God. And not just this time of year, but even through the whole series and get excited talking about Jesus. Because what greater time to talk about Jesus than now, especially in our culture and our world today. And uh, the greatest time of the year, not just because of what this world has made it, um, but because we know as Christians, it's about Jesus Christ. And listen, I know this world has gone crazy. It has been crazy, but it's even getting crazier. And I know the worldly things and the worldly possessions and the material possessions and all the parties and all the things that come along with the commercial side of Christmas. They are discouraging. They are disheartening as a Christian. But let me tell you, no one controls what you do in your home. You have the ability as a parent, 
as a grandparent to be sure that your heart is fixed on Jesus, that your influence of what you understand about Christmas and the message of Christmas isn't empty like the world. Because if we teach our kids and we teach our grandkids things of the world is going to make you happy and it's joyful and hope and all the things we're going to talk about you find in God that they can find in the world, let me tell you, they're going to be empty because the world can't offer these things. So we as Christians, above anyone else, should be excited because it's our time to talk about Jesus. It's our time to be able to, to talk to people in an environment that's radically different than any time of the year. And so I challenge you, I challenge you for your home, I challenge you for your heart to keep Christ in the center of your celebrations. And I know it's easy to get distracted, and I know it's easy to raise kids in this culture and to let it kind of slip away, but above all, the main thing about Christmas in your heart and in your family should be Jesus, and you should teach your kids that, and we should see that in our hearts and our lives, and we should want everyone to know that. We should want our kids to know that. We should want our neighbors to know that. And we should want even our grandkids to know that. And and as we come to the story of Jesus in the Bible, we come to the Advent. Advent means nothing but the arrival. And when you read the story of the Bible or the the Bible story, you, you begin to realize from Genesis to Revelation, it's a complete story. And in that story, it builds to a moment. It builds to a, 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 a breaking point. It builds to a point to where everything is looking to this one moment. All of creation, all of the heavenlies, all of eternity is looking to this moment. And when you see this moment, you see this person, and you see this thing that happens, it is like the whole thing rises and falls among this, about this moment. And this moment is the arrival The arrival of when the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, steps out of heaven and comes to earth to wrap himself in flesh. It is the arrival of God's son to the earth. It is the arrival of when God, the God of heaven, would take on flesh to do the most incredible, unbelievable, indescribable act of redemption of all of creation. I'm telling you, it doesn't get any better than this. And as we lead up to Sundays after Sunday, after even Christmas this year on Sunday, I want to talk about four words. Four words that you've heard before around Christmas. Four words that you've heard about the Advent. Uh, There's more than four of these words. Some people have six. Some people have eight. uh, Some people have less. But these four words are what we're going to focus on in our series. We're going to focus on hope. We're going to focus on love, we're going to focus on joy, and we're going to focus on peace. And not just those words, but just the understanding of those words. And and when you think about those words, don't you just love those words? You know, if you could just in your mind think about what first comes into your mind when you hear these words, hope, when you hear love, when you hear joy, when you hear peace. And let me tell you, I know what comes into the world's mind, right? Right? I know what they think they can imitate of God's words and uh, and of the principles of God. The world, though, can't give you those things. You see, because uh, Jesus and God has has the market on hope. They have the market on love and joy and peace. The world can try to sell you some knockoffs, right? 
The world can try to sell you some things, but, but yet in the end, all it leaves you with is desperation. All it leaves you with is lust, and all it leaves you with is sadness, and all it leaves you with is worry. That's what the world will give you. But when you have Jesus and you understand his message and he's the center of your heart and your life, there is a flooding hope that comes in your soul. There's an undeniable feeling of love and understanding of love. There is an indescribable joy and there is a peace that passes all understanding. And this morning, before we start the series, I ask you, which one do you desire? Which one would you rather have? As you go through these next four weeks, would you want the peace and the hope and the love and the joy that Jesus can give you? Or do you want to have this desperation and worry and anxiety that the world can give you? And I pray that this morning as we look to these things and we begin with the word hope, that we will begin to focus our hearts on what Jesus can give us. And I'm glad that you've already turned to John chapter 1. But John chapter 1 verse 14 is our verse for this morning. And in that verse, it's a very interesting verse. I hope you mark this verse. There are several verses you should memorize in the Bible. This is one of them. Next week, I'll give you another one. And yet this week, as we get to John chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word hope, as we get it, or as we understand it, uh, comes from the understanding of expectation of a change, or that there is something in the future that can restore something in your life. And for us to really to understand the depth of hope in the message of Jesus Christ, I want you to understand our hopelessness. All right, I want you to understand how hopeless of a condition we are before we know Jesus Christ. I mean, have you ever been in a hopeless situation? Have you ever been to a place to where you said, this is beyond a shadow of a doubt. There is no earthly possible way this is going to happen. I mean, kind of like me trying on a pair of skinny jeans. All right, you're not going to see me in a pair of skinny jeans. There is absolutely no way you will ever see me in a pair of skinny jeans. Like, that is a hopeless situation, all right? By the way, if I ever show up in a pair and I got frosted tips in my hair, just lock me up and put me in a jail somewhere, all right? I went crazy. But, but hopelessness, it, 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 this hopelessness that surrounds our heart and this understanding of being hopeless is like darkness, it's darkness that begins to happen. Have you ever been out in dusk and all of a sudden you get in a situation, maybe you're hunting or maybe you're out somewhere and all of a sudden the darkness begins to close in on you and all of a sudden the darkness is so great that you find yourself almost in, a, in such surrounded by it that this, 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 this darkness engulfs you and it begins to disorient you, it begins to discourage you. I can remember when my mom and dad when I was younger took us to some caverns in Arizona uh, in those caverns, you would go down in this little, this little uh, elevator and you'd go into this little chamber. In those chambers, you would look around and have all this, uh, these little chambers lit up and they would have all those, you know, stalactites and stalagmites. I made the teachers real proud by saying that. I remember that from science, all right? One comes from the ceiling, one comes from the floor, you know, and they, you see all these great things. They got them all lit up with these great lights. And literally, you were in the, in the cave. You was in the, you was in the, uh, the inner parts of a mountain, 
And yet during that tour, they would say, okay, it's dark now, but hold on a second because make sure you have a hold of somebody's hand or holding the rail because for a few moments, we're going to turn out all the lights. And when we turn out all the lights, you're really going to understand what darkness is and understand how dark it really is in this place. And sure enough, they cut out the lights. And man, it was beyond darkness, like a darkness you could not even imagine. And if you wasn't holding on to something or someone, you would get disoriented, even, even move around a little bit. Well, that's what hopelessness does. A hopeless situation is beyond hope. It is beyond this, this darkness or this beyond this situation that grips your heart that there is absolutely no possibility for you to ever, ever overcome it. You know you're in a position or in a condition that cannot be improved or helped in of yourself. Well, I want to show you this journey we're going to go on. I want to start in the Garden of Eden, all the way back in the Garden of Eden. And before we could really understand what we see in the crown and what we see, I mean, in this cradle this morning and when we come to celebrate Christmas, I want you to see where it starts. The journey is in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 28, God says this. He said, let us make man in our image. For those who study the Bible, there's a mention of the Trinity. So when someone tells you the God is not a Trinity, Trinity is not in the Bible, point them to the first chapter of the Bible. If there is no Trinity, who was God talking to when he said, let us make man in our image, right? Uh, that's just a tip, by the way. That was free. You don't even have to put anything off or in plate for that. But anyhow, that's the Trinity mentioned right there in the first chapter of the Bible. But God tells us, let's, let's make man in our image according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That kind of sounds kind of creepy, doesn't it? But anyways, let him have dominion over all these things. Now verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. There it is. God created, created man, and not only did he create man, he created him, them as the crown jewel of the creation. He created man in his very image. You realize that every human being is valuable and precious because it has the mark of God in them. It has the image of God, young or old, uh, big or small. We were all created in the image of God. And every life has value because of this image. And so here was man created the highest order of the universe with, the, with God's image in him. And, and in, this, in this creation, they were above the earth. They were above the stars. They were above the animals. They were above all them. And no one else was the highest order of creation. They, they were special because they bared the image of God. And by the way, that's why you should teach your children you should have a pro-life worldview. I always like to tell people I'm a womb to a tomb kind of guy. And if you are in the womb or you're headed for the tomb, you are valuable in God's sight and life is worth fighting for because you have the image of God in you. And the image of God is in every single person and every single part of it. And it was valuable because of the image of God. And God took man and he made them above all creation. And he placed them in the perfect environment. The Garden of Eden. 
It didn't get any better than that. The perfect creation in the perfect environment and the most beautiful place on the face of the earth. And not only that, but every single day, God would come and dwell with man. And he would have fellowship with Adam and Eve. And they would talk and they would have fellowship. Perfect, uh, perfect creation. Perfect environment. Fellowship with God. And God would have fellowship on a daily basis. And Adam and Eve was in the very presence of God, the creator himself. I mean, what a time that would be. Could you imagine being in a part of that and being a part of that, of seeing God's presence in the life every single day. And God loved Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve loved God. And the purpose and desire for God's creation was perfect. And everything was great and everything was glorious, except God said in that garden, there was a tree that was forbidden for them to eat of. And he told them, when you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. And, and Satan, the serpent, came to him and said, has God really said? By the way, if you ever want to know if you're being tempted by Satan, if you doubt God's word, that's the first sign, right? He says, has God really said? Has this, is this really a possibility? And sure enough, they listened to him and they reasoned of their own and they took of this forbidden fruit. And immediately, immediately when Adam and Eve forbid, uh, took of this forbidden fruit, at the moment that they fell short of the purpose of God and the plan of God, sin entered the world. Sin entered human, the human race. And immediately uh, as that happened, uh, when they sinned, death entered creation. That's why we have sickness. That's why we have death. Immediately upon sin, that Adam and Eve was going to die. And immediately when they sinned, a curse was delivered. The curse was upon man and upon woman for the rest of creation. And when they sinned, immediately it was passed down to all of mankind. That's why when we believe in, in God's word, it teaches that when sin entered the human race through Adam, it was passed to every single person that's ever born of woman and man. And, and, and yet a lot of things happen and we could talk about those things forever. But one important thing that happened was that God drove them out of his presence and he put them outside of the garden and he put an angel there and he said, you will not be, you will not have the abiding presence of God anymore. That man will not strive with God any longer because God is a holy God and God will not dwell with sin. And because of that sin, God says, I will drive you out and you will be out of my presence. And God put them out of the Garden of Eden and God put them out of his presence and said, no more. And when you read the Bible, you realize that from that point forward, man began to try to get God's presence again. And you begin to read through the Bible and you see things that are happening through Abraham. And you read things in the Old Testament. It happens through Moses, through the law. And you read through the tabernacles and the Holy of Holies. And God's presence would come temporarily, but it did not dwell with people. It would come in a transitory fashion. It did not abide with man. And all of the Old Testament ends up in a failure. Listen, that's why you can't stop the story in the Old Testament because it ends with failure. It ends with man not able to enter into the presence of God again. It ends with man not being able to be restored with the Lord. And in Malachi, you guys ever read Malachi? When you get to Malachi, you realize God's just about done with it. And you realize that man has tried everything, but they have miserably failed. And God looks at him and God is teaching him and God is showing them that whatever effort you have and of yourself, you will never reach God. 
And the obvious question is, can man ever reach God? And obviously, as we see through these experiences and through the Old Testament, that man couldn't do it. Man couldn't do it through the law. Man couldn't do it through Abraham. Man couldn't do it through being a good person or the nation of Israel. They all failed. They miserably failed. And in of themselves, they had no hope. And all of creation was yearning. And all of creation was in the same condition this morning. As you sit here, when you were born into your family, when you were born in your, into this world, you were born in the same condition. You were born hopeless without Jesus Christ. You were born hopeless without the presence of God. Romans 3 verses 10 through 12 says, As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. I mean, he pretty much nails it down and nails it shut. And then Romans 3.23 follows it up and said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us in the same condition before God. Separated by sin and the presence of God will not dwell with man. That's bad news, right? I mean, that's bad news because the darkness of our condition, the hopelessness of who we are without God in our life. And now listen, the world has done its best to dress this up. Because when it comes to a time of understanding God's word, especially in our Western civilization, we, we've dumbed this down and we've pushed this away because man has attempted to reach God once again. And how we've done that through our Western culture is through feelings, all right? We say, well, you just got to feel better about yourself, right? You just got to have some positive vibes, you know, you got you to gotta try harder or feel better or do some meditation. And, and yet, if that don't work, how about some worldly pleasures? How about some materialism? How about the things of the world that will give you all this pleasure? But you know what? Let, let's not talk about the truth. Let, let's forget about death and forget about hell and forget about separation. All those things don't need to be talked about anymore. And, and everyone is good and you go to heaven and I go to heaven and everyone is good and there's no separation of God and we're all going to be a part of God's, uh, God's celebration. And in an attempt to cover all these things, yet what's happened to man is because what has become even more hopeless. You know why? Because man is incurably seeks after God. Man has a heart that wants to be redeemed. Man has an understanding in their heart that they are separated from God because God has put his image in us. And yes, through sin, we have been separated from God, but there's a yearning in the soul to know God again. And we try to fill all these things and we try to put all these things and maybe even you have tried them. And you have guilt and shame in your life, but you realize that there is nothing that has satisfied it. There is nothing that has quite done the trick of fulfilling that hopelessness in your heart. Maybe you even joined this church. Maybe you've been baptized and maybe you even tried to be a good person. But let me tell you, that can't give you hope because that's not, that's not the solution to your problem. You see, sin separated you from God and there is nothing you can do to make it right. There is nothing in your effort. There is nothing in you trying harder. We are exactly, exactly where we end the Old Testament. We are hopeless. And you say, I know, Pastor, man, you're just a bundle of joy this morning. Let me tell you, 
I'm so glad I came to tell that I was hopeless, all right? If I, could, I would have stayed home and my husband could have told me that or my wife could have told me that, right? But listen, this is exactly what we need to hear because when we come in this celebration and we talk about the baby in the manger, we got to understand the hopelessness of our condition before we can enjoy the hope we have in him. And I wouldn't be a faithful preacher if I didn't tell you the whole story. Listen, if I just came in here and told you you all are doing well and you're going to get a new house, you're going to get a new car, and you're going to be blessed, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? I mean, that's a great story, but it's not true. It doesn't work that way. And yet for us, when we understand the, we're not ready for the good news until we accept the bad news. We got to realize the hopelessness we are. And two things that we consider this this morning before we move on. One is, have you come to understand that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? That's a simple question. Not your neighbor. It's easy to look how they've sinned, right? And it's easy to point out sin in other people. Your heart Have you realized that you've come short of the glory of God? Have you realized that there's something missing and that thing is missing is that you are lost because you don't understand you're lost before you can understand the message of Christ? Second thing is for us as Christians who have been in that, understand that, do we realize and do our our hearts break for the condition of the majority of the people you're going to encounter over your life? Through this Christmas season, you're going to come and you're going to encounter people who are lost. And they're going to try the things of the world. They're going to be in your neighborhood. They're going to be in your families. They're going to be in your gatherings. Do you have a compassion for them? Do you have a heart for them to want to share, them the, share with them the gospel? Do you have the heart with them to be able to share them the good news of what it really means about Christmas? Or are you just going to have a party with them? Or are you just going to have a good time with them? Or do you really want to keep the main thing and talk about the gospel of Christ with them? You see, man is lost without hope, but praise be to God, there is a solution. And like it says, when I said before, all of creation is yearning and they were waiting for this arrival. And when Malachi closes, think about this, 400 years of silence from God. You want to talk about a dramatic pause, right? I mean, 400 years between Malachi and the gospels that we read in our New Testament. God did not speak one thing to them that's recorded in our scripture. Not one thing. 400 years. And all of a sudden, all of the angelic beings and all of the creation and all those in Sheol and all those who have died before were yearning and waiting and watching. And all of a sudden, it's time. And due time comes this Jesus Christ. And John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, man may be done, but God wasn't done. God had His best story to tell. And as the Old Testament closes, the New Testament opens with this dramatic arrival. And John looks at one point, uh, John the Baptist looks at one point and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then the Apostle John follows that up and says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And you say, can it be hope for the hopeless? Is there life for the dead? Is there forgiveness for the guilty? Yes, it is in Jesus Christ that out of heaven, Jesus stepped into humanity. And when he did, he brought hope for the presence of man to be with, I mean, the presence of God to be with man again. And when we come to this story and we come to the understanding of the glory of Jesus Christ, when flesh dwelt among man again. You know what's so great about this story is it's a story of redemption. It's a story of when God became, uh, Jesus became the second Adam. 
to do what the first Adam failed at. He came to redeem us, to buy us back. He loved us so much not to leave us in our sin and leave us separated from God. He gives us a chance. He gives us an opportunity. And you think about Christmas. Does that not reveal the heart of God? That's why when we come to Christmas, our hearts should be filled with hope because God could have given up on us a long time ago. Let me tell you, if I was God, I would have given up on myself a long time ago. I probably would have given up on a few of you too, by the way. But listen, God never gave up. He loved us and he gave hope for us. And what a testament of God's love for us and the hope we have in Jesus Christ. We couldn't be like God, so God became like us. I mean, what a story. And he came in the flesh. And when we talk about the incarnation of God, his flesh met this, uh, the flesh met the Son of God. And in one person, eternity came in contact with mortality. In one person, righteousness came in contact with sin. In one person, the meeting point of heaven and earth. In one point, all of eternity came to a specific point in time. And all the deity of God came to humanity. And in Jesus Christ, through the incarnation, it is God's abiding presence once again. And like uh, Matthew says, we shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. We have the opportunity to have the presence of God. Think about this. He was sent by the Father. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He died on the cross to, to redeem us. He was raised from the dead to uh, prove his, his, his righteousness. He ascended back on high. And guess what? He's coming again one day. That's the Jesus we serve. Not just the cradle, but the cross and the crown soon to come. And we have this Jesus Christ and his name is Jesus. And from the very beginning in the Gospels, they were shouting it from the housetops. You shall call his name Jesus and he shall save his people from their sins. Amen. Isn't that good news? Listen, we may have been hopeless, but Jesus has come to give hope to us. And he took on flesh to do something that no one else could do. No one else could do this. And you say, well, how is this true? How can this help me? I'm unlovable. I am one of them hopeless people you're talking about. I have sinned and you don't know what I have done. You don't know where I've been in my life. Oh, let me tell you. Here's where the part really gets good. You know how he's done it and why he's done it? He says through the law, Moses was given, but by Jesus Christ comes grace. Don't you love that word grace? I mean, the hope that we have is not because we're good enough. The hope that we have is just because of God's grace. A classical definition of grace is God's unmerited favor. You know what unmerited means? That we don't earn it. You cannot uh, drum this up or you cannot work for this. This is unmerited. I love one acrostic that a pastor gave. I'll never forget it of grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Isn't that a great way to explain grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. You see, God created us. Sin destroyed us. But grace redeems us. He gives us another chance. He gives us the ability to have God's presence in our life. Even though sin had destroyed us. And it's by grace. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. It is a gift of God. One of my favorite scriptures, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been given. I mean, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. 
not of works, lest anyone should boast. You know, I guess more than any other time of the year, we focus on gifts in this country, right? Don't you love gifts? Don't you love to give gifts? But also, don't you love to receive gifts, right? Amen. I love to receive gifts. You know, when I was a kid, I, I remember uh, Christmas. I can remember moving here to Jacksonville. Uh, back in the day, I can remember waiting all night because my dad would always let us open up most all of our presents on Christmas Eve, and he, they would always save the one big present for Sunday morning, I mean for Christmas morning. And I can remember driving around in that car, and it was back of a, a 1984 Thunderbird, I think, a black Thunderbird. And I remember me and my brother rolling around in the back of that thing, driving around on University Boulevard over thinking, is it ever going to get dark, right? Took forever. Now that I'm old, time flies by, right? I mean, I told you, life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the faster it goes, right? I mean, it just, it rolls downhill so fast. It happens so fast. And yet, back then, I can remember waiting and waiting and waiting. I can remember one year, my brother and I, we asked, we went to Hobby World. You guys remember Hobby World in Jacksonville? Man, that was back before they had phones, right? You had hobbies, you know what I mean? And, and you would leave the house, and you wouldn't come back until they turned the light on. Like, okay, it's time to go back, right? You went outside, and you played, and you stayed, and you went gone. And me and my brother, we went to Hobby World, and we found these two, uh, we found these two cars that we wanted. It was remote-controlled cars. They were rechargeable. They were called Big Bears. Remember that? I, remember we wanted, I, wanted, a, I wanted a blue one. I mean, I wanted a red one. He wanted a blue one. And so we got, I mean, we wanted them. We told my dad about them. He went in there. He came out. He says, do y'all realize those things are $300 a piece? He was like, well, we, just, we liked them. We really did like them. Man. Well, we wish we could have them. We don't have to have them. But I'll never forget Sunday morning opening it up. I was like, this is it. It's got to be it. And we tore into them. Sure enough, two of them. We were so excited. We looked over at our dad. and was like, thank you so much. And he looked at it and he says, your kids better play with those things. You understand me? I was like, okay. Now we knew we reached the limit. <laughs> but man, we were so excited to get a gift. But you know what the greatest part about receiving a gift is? Someone else paid for it, right? Think about it. You get a gift. Someone don't say, I give you this, but here's the bill. You need to make payments on it, right? No, a gift is given. A gift is something that you receive that you didn't pay for. Listen, when he says that the, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, that's something to get excited about. And in our hearts and our life, we, we were, we were uh, our sin had left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white of snow. And it's the gift of God because Jesus paid it all. You don't have to say, Jesus, I got the last 10% or Jesus, let me get the tip or Jesus, let me do a little bit of work here. No, Jesus says it is by grace. It is this gift that I've given you. And when it comes to Christmas, we of all people should be excited because we understand we were hopeless without God. But through Jesus Christ, he gave a gift we could not earn of our own. And if we receive that gift, we have forgiveness of sin and we have eternal life. It doesn't get any better than that. And for us, we ought to shout it from the housetops. One of my favorite Christmas songs is Oh Holy Night. I would sing it to you, but I'm a terrible singer. So I'm going to read some of it to you, all right? And it's a great story. It's a great message. Because it really sums up what we talk about, the message of Christmas. And the message of what we talked about this morning. The lyrics go like this. Oh, holy night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. 
Long lay the world in sin and error and pining. Think about this. They are all, like I said, weary. And they were, they were there waiting and they were in sin. And it says, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angels' voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. Wow. That's us. We know as a Christian, we have a thrill of hope. Because we were hopeless and we were in sin and Christ came to this earth and he did something for us in in his salvation that we did not earn. And all we need to do is fall on our knees and pour our hearts out to the Lord in thanksgiving and praise for his indescribable gift that he has given us. And listen, this morning, if you've never received that gift, I hope this morning is the greatest Christmas you'll ever have because you will receive the greatest gift ever given to mankind, salvation in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together this morning.